بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Alrighty <clears throat> and so pulling up the uh, the screen we're continuing our conversation about making sense of these ayahs on inheritance beyond the instructions themselves. And to add more fun to it, we have ayah 11, and then we have ayah 12 in terms of what the wives leave. So you inherit half of what your wives leave if they have no children. If they have children, you inherit a quarter after payment of any bequests and debts so forth and so on in fact if you have no children your wife shares a quarter if you have children your wives get an eighth after payment of all debts if a man or a woman dies leaving no children or parents but a single brother or sister whoops didn't mean to do that uh let's see okay and then after all the payments and debts single brother say you should take one sixth of the inheritance so forth and so on with no harm done to anyone. This is a command from Allah. Allah is all-knowing. Okay. And then ayah 13, to add even more. These are the bounds set by Allah. God will admit those who obey him and his messenger to gardens graced with flowing streams. There they will stay. That is the supreme triumph. And so this could be referring, ayah, this ayah 13 could be referring to these inheritance laws that we just saw. Or it could be referring to everything from the beginning of the surah to now. But no matter how you read it, it's still definitely including the inheritance laws. And so one of the points we were making as we were finishing class the other day was that for many ayahs referring to action, many ayahs, wa alaykum as wa rahmatullah, 101.7, cool rock. Okay, uh, that are referring to action, you are looking at context, what we call zaman and makan. So zaman being the time that you live in and makan being the location that you live in. Those might vary. So for many cultural practices, many financial practices, just about everything outside of acts of worship, you will be looking at uh, how are things done in that particular society as part of your adjudication process. Uh, but here, our ayah says very categorically, this is farida, this is fard from Allah. And then <laughs> that next ayah, that ayah 13 says, these are the bounds set by Allah. It's like it's saying over and over again, this is what you have to do. So. The struggle that many of us might face in the context of the modern West is the ongoing question of, okay, the value of a man versus the value of a woman, so forth and so on. Any more thoughts and reflections on that point? That here it seems consistently that the guys get more than the women. Assalamu alaikum, this is Dilnaz. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah, Dilnaz. Um, 
On last week, you had mentioned to us if there's ayahs that, you know, we really love and appreciate from the Quran to like put them on a sheet of paper and like, you know, recite them and be connected to them. And then there's, of course, ayahs in the Quran that we may not fully understand and then put them also on a sheet of paper. And well, this is what I heard. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Also put them on a sheet of paper and like kind of put them to the side and just grapple with them and figure out, you know, and this is one of the ayahs that you're uh, you're going over right now. So mm -hmm. I took that. um uh, nugget from you. And I was on an interfaith panel on Tuesday. So the panel went great. It was me. It was a Roman Catholic and it was a modern Orthodox Jewish individual. And, um, the my, a panel went well. The last question we had was by this one individual that said, um, I'm just curious, is there anything in your faith? And she asked all three of us, is there anything in your faith that you grapple with that you're uncomfortable with? And how do you deal with that? So I wanted to share that I used your nugget in front of yes. everyone. And there must've been like 400 people in the audience. And when that was done um, that day and the next day, so many people said, I have never heard that. Thank you for sharing that. But I also want to apologize. I didn't give you credit. So if there was a way I could go back and say, oh my uh. God. Omar Muzaffar taught me that I would have done it. But honestly, so many people had never learned of that tool and were so um, appreciative of that tool. Oh, very good. It makes me very happy. A, I probably stole it from someone else that I'm not remembering at the moment. And B, the last thing I want is more attention, right? I mean, because, yeah, sometimes it's not very pleasant. But no, no, alhamdulillah, that, uh, that uh, makes me happy that that was beneficial, primarily for you and then for, for, for everyone else, alhamdulillah. Okay. Any other thoughts about the struggles with, with this ayah, especially in relationship with the polygamy ayah or anything else? Um, I do actually. Sabrine. Sorry, I've been in and out of these conversations for the last few days, but with the inheritance, so this aya is in accordance to like it relies on the brothers being just, right, and fair. Especially like in in my culture, I don't know a single Arab Muslim that wrote a will. Okay. Fair and. Enough. I know that based on what my parents, like my mom and her siblings right now, they're still like not in agreement in their inheritance. Um, my dad's side is a different story, but if you don't, so what happens if you don't know they're the living? So my, for example, my grandfather, he is not alive, but my grandmother is. So on my dad's side, she decided to divvy up the inheritance. Just her own way? Yes. Okay. Um, in accordance to, like, you know, what her daughters are going to get, what her sons are going to get, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it was just or fairly done at all, um, mm -hmm. especially to my aunts. Uh, but... I guess we weren't allowed to say anything because it's not our inheritance. Um, but what happens when you don't like did to so my question is my grandmother, it's not like she knows how to read or write. Mm -hmm. But my uncle, both my uncles who helped her facilitate this, do. Um, one of them is actually educated too. Um, and they went along with it because it did benefit them more than others. Um, but what happens like if it, it, it one my question is is she allowed to do that with my mm. grandfather's dominant like it's mostly his mm. and what 
she got from her parents. Mm. Um, and my other question is, if you know it's not done in accordance with the law of God, are you to speak up mm. even though it's not your inheritance, mm-hmm. not your place? Sure. Um, that's one question. And then the other, for my side, my other side of the family is, so when there is disagreement, there is no will. It wasn't divided with both parents. Like my mom's side, both of her parents are not alive. Um, and there's no agreement on who's getting what and what was sold, whatever. It's like a big ordeal. And it's not followed by a very simple rule, clearly. Like it's not that complex to follow, but still it's not, it's not being followed. And secondly, um, what there in my culture, they also do this thing where the sister goes, Oh, you know, you're my brother. I know you'll take care of me. I'm going to forego on my, my share. What is the brother supposed to do? Or that's like a, a, being like a, a shy, like a timid, mm. surly thing. I don't really understand it, but it's, I see a lot of my um, aunts and my mother-in-law did that. Why do they do that? How do you respond to that? Mm-hmm. And how does one ask, like, I don't know, like, my, I, do you understand my questions? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah. Is that it or more? For the inheritance, yeah. Okay, so so um, <clears throat> regarding the grandma situation, uh, let's go hypothetically with the argument that before your grandfather died, he gave all his money to your grandma to then decide how to split it up. So technically, uh, she's the owner of the wealth, and she can do as she wills, right? If okay. we go with the argument that he says, all right, I'm dying soon, you take all the wealth and you split it up, you know? then that acts uh, pr- that has precedent over the will itself. Okay. And, and so <clears throat> this leads into your second question. Let's say hypothetically then, no, uh, that he did not leave a will. He did not give the money to anyone in advance. Then if people legitimately don't know, then inshallah, Allah Ta'ala is not going to hold them to account. If people legitimately know and they don't follow, then that's a problem. You know, big of a problem. That I mean, Allah knows best. It seems like the these big categorical instructions seem to be the most common on matters of money. Uh, You know, so like in Al Baqarah, we have ayahs on riba, often translated as interest, where if you're not ceasing to collect it, then it's a declaration of war. From Allah, right? So uh, money matters seem to be taken very, very seriously. And I think part of it is to prevent exploitation from happening. Leading to your third, or leading to your, your also within your second question, how much do you have to speak out? A lot of that really relates to your relationship to the situation and the benefit of, of speaking out. Uh, that uh, even, let's say you're the grandchild and you're watching this happening, um, yeah, you should probably speak up, but, you know, more than likely no one's going to listen to you, you know. (laughs) And then that leads to your third question uh, in terms of 
where we often find these types of ayahs very, very troubling is, okay, level one, <clears throat> when I'm looking at an ayah like this, let's say I'm a Muslim woman and I'm looking at an ayah like this, do I feel that Allah still values me completely as a full creation, as a full servant? Can I pass test number one? Okay, when I see an ayah like this, right? Or when I see a hadith that says there's more women in hell than men, or, you know, whatever, or even, you know, that a man can marry, you know, four, a woman can only marry one, or a man can marry people of the book, but a woman cannot. Do I, can I say yes to the question, do I believe that Allah values me wholeheartedly, potentially comparable to the man, you know, next to me? Okay. At least, if not on the virtue of my own humanity, but then on top of that, do I have the same meritocracy that that this man does? Can I answer yes to that question? Okay. Uh, and I think many people cannot. Uh, if I can say yes to that, that Allah values me, then my concern about these ayahs is going to be the abuse of these ayahs. Because so, uh, every ayah in the Quran can be abused, but especially these ayahs made uh, related to gender, we I think we become especially very aware of those types of abuses and such uh and so question one essentially am i asking do i trust god thoroughly yeah. all of us can trust a little more but do i trust the value he has to me or when i see this ayah does this poke at me as though i'm inferior to to i'm a woman inferior to my brother yeah. and if i can't that's something i need to work on okay can i i have yeah, a question well, on top of that uh, uh, go ahead, and then I still have to answer. You know your point about the, about the quiet women. Yeah. Okay. So, um, say that you do trust. The way I see it, at least, is that this area, you know, is built based on the accordance of the male, you know, being also held um, with more responsibility. Like he's got possibly. More- more responsibility and he also if he does wrong that's more haram for him mm-hmm. so i feel like it was built on the trust that the man is going to fear you know or trust you know allah's word and follow through mm-hmm. but i feel like god already knows that man doesn't mm-hmm. so then at the end of the day, what is it? The woman, all she has left is God. Is, is that what we're saying? Okay, just, well, just we'll get to that point. So, yeah. Justice yeah. for her is pretty much from God. I mean, that's for everyone who's being abused. Uh, it may eventually lead to that point. But so far, uh, is the framing making sense? Let me, it's probably easier if I write it down. Um, uh, well done. Uh, what's the date today? 331. Uh, let me just put this up. So essentially, I'm giving a map on how to further make sense or struggle with these ayahs. So question one, does Allah value me fully? Okay. 
can I, as a woman reading these passages, honestly say yes to myself? If I can't, everything else is going to be an even bigger struggle. If I can, then uh, then it becomes uh, a different matter. It doesn't mean that the struggle is all gone, but the issue changes. Then the next question is, do I have confidence in the implementation? So, for example, the polygamy aya. Me as a man, I'm thinking, hey, all right, doors wide open. But if my daughter came home and said, okay, I'm going to be a second wife, then I'm going to have a huge problem with that, right? Because uh, now I'm seeing what it's like to be on the receiving end. Okay. So do I have confidence in the implementation for a lot of these ayahs? One issue is even if the aya is being prescribed, is it going to be fair? Good. So, for example, similar to Sabrina, kind of what you're saying, suppose you have in a family a guy who's a bum because he's a spoiled brat, but then you have sisters who are super upright because they've been raised because they have to work. Very common issue in many of our families. The guy spoiled by the mom, the, mo- the, the the daughters forced to learn how to work and forced to fend for themselves by the same mom. Okay. Uh, very, very common issue. Then this ayah seems doubly unfair, right? That he gets uh, this giant uh, potentially amount and then they get a small amount you know, in terms of inheritance. So, yeah, there is the hope in these ayahs that the people inheriting uh, are upright, okay, are fulfilling whatever they're supposed to fulfill. But we all know the reality in a huge number of our households is that that's the opposite of reality. And so do I have confidence in the implementation uh, it might be Allah's prescription is fair. Do I feel Allah's prescription is fair, meaning I can wrestle with it? But are the people fair? And I think uh, on this last question, most people are going to say no. The only people who are going to say yes are the people who abuse the system. And yes, Sadia, exactly. It's uh, uh, the toxic patriarchy that takes place, the toxic masculinity takes place, is by men who are raised by women. And regardless of who's to blame, it is this continuing cycle. Because built into that, we also have the example Sabrina's giving, that in many of our cultures, the men are told to be hyper-masculine, and the women are taught to be hyper-submissive. To the point that they're taught not to stand up for their rights. Right. This is also a contrast between the women of Mecca and the women of Medina. 
at the time of the Prophet Peace on. The women of Mecca were very quiet, if they even existed, because most of them were killed, right? Side point, if you also look at, you know, Jahiliya poetry, it's all about these missing women, these idealized women, um, at the same time that they're also getting rid of their daughters and stuff for a while. The women of Medina were very, very outspoken and had much more of what we might speak of a sense of their own agency and autonomy and such. So, so this was an issue back then, too. So, so, so the point being that uh, it's completely reasonable for a person to look at these ayahs and really, really struggle with them. And we might give many explanations for why it makes sense and it's justified in such, but we know the practical implementation, for example, of inheritance laws throughout the Muslim world is something completely exploited okay, at the cost of women. So I'm going to add another point here, which is separate from this. And what is the holistic vision? of the ayah and i know uh, you've been raising your hand for a while malah you've been raising your hand for a while i will i'll get to you and tell him in in a moment just to make these points one of the points i've been repeating over and over when we look at all these ayahs has been what is the vision it's been creating what are the visions and um, like these ayahs have been creating and we've been speaking a lot about family and relationships and these particular ayahs right when we said you know, here, the first ayah, it's speaking about the fact that we're all coming from an, uh, a common origin. We also have to look at the obligations we have to our mothers. We have to look at the obligations we have to our families, right? And then we have to look at the 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 concerns we have, the obligations we have for the fair treatment and care and compassion to orphans, where it starts with, uh, you know, um don't um don't consume their wealth preserve their wealth but eventually what does it say it says that you should treat them you should regard them like you regard your own children it starts with the basics don't don't uh, spend their wealth don't mix your wealth with theirs um if you need to partake you know because you're poor fine um if you are going to marry one and you can't be fair to the one in your custody um, then marry somebody else but then it leads to here's how you should truly regard orphans you should treat them you should think of them like you think of your own children your love for your own children okay? that's the vision that's being created now when we look at the ayah here when it's such a categorically thicky ayah it's very hard to look at it any other way okay meaning here's a set of rules and then it seems like okay this is what i have to follow but now let's add more to the picture. Uh, number one, what is the prescription? This is an al-Baqarah for a husband regarding the wealth he should save for his wife. Anybody know? Anybody remember? I'm Wrong. so can't ask that again. Okay, so this the answer is in Surah 2, Surah al-Baqarah. What is Allah Ta'ala telling a husband in terms of what he has to have saved? Or his wife. Doesn't she get like an eighth? Completely different than all that. In the case of his death, what does he have to have saved for his wife? Um, His burial. Okay, more than that. 
I mean, I think now you're just guessing. <laughs> he has to have a year's worth of expenses expenses oh. saved for her. So that is pre-inheritance. So, and so this ayah, these two ayahs might make it look like she's not getting very much, but he already has to have that much saved for her. And the point I want you to consider is, do I get a reward if, you know, we follow this with whatever legacy I'm I'm leaving? So let's say I'm leaving a certain amount of money from my years of teaching, and we follow these inheritance laws. Do I get rewarded? Easy question. Yeah. Oh, okay. If I'm following inheritance laws, yeah, definitely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Second question. If prior to inheritance, if I split up my wealth, you know, to take care of my kids and all that, my own way, do I get rewarded for that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Which one do I get rewarded for more? Is a question for anybody. Let's say, uh, let's say I'm super sick, okay, and it's end of March. I may not live to April tomorrow. I've written out my will following Allah's rules. Okay. Today, however, March 31st, I give all my wealth away. Okay. Except just what I need in case I live for another week or a couple of weeks. I give all the wealth away, you know, to take care of people in my family. So I'm looking at my situation. All right, my daughter's. You know, they're single, they need this amount of wealth. My parents are still alive, they need this amount of wealth, so far and so on. I pick my own division according to my assessment of their need. Uh, so you're asking which has more reward? Which you, has you more wait. reward? So if you wait till after you die or before, if you do it before? Yeah, so if I split up the money according to my assessment of what everyone needs on March 31st, does that have more or less reward than on April 1st, I have died, and then we follow the will according to the terms Allah has sent down? Any thoughts? Uh, anyone? This is for anybody. According to what Allah has. Okay. So Sadia is guessing the will. Uh, Hamid, what are you guessing? Well, I would say there's more rewards if you distribute the money before you die. Because? Because if you do it with the will... You're following the rule of Allah, which you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is reward worthy. We're reward worthy. Um, but then if you give it beforehand, when you give uh, money to your family, you're giving salaka. So mm -hmm. that's that you don't have to do, but you're going out of your way to do. So my consideration for all of you to think about, or my suggestion for all of you to consider, is that is higher reward. To do a will. Or to no. do prior. The will is the last step, but to divvy up your wealth prior. Chronologically, you're giving it in advance. Automatically, that comes. That's a that's a higher reward. You're splitting up your money uh, uh, to your children. Second, you're doing it according to their specific need. Yeah, that makes sense. So, my suggestion for y'all to consider is what this ayah, what's built into this ayah, is that this is the last resort. 
if you don't leave a will or if you write a will following Islamic law, all right, this is the last resort on how everything is going to be divvied up. If you agree with this, then you just follow this. But if you're looking at the context of your family, let's say I, like I said, let's say I have a son who's a bum because I spoiled him his whole life, right? Or his mom spoiled him. Or then, uh, but then my daughters are are upright, right? Or let's say in this household, this person needs more money because their needs are greater. So, so let's say I have uh, uh, a son who who has income, uh, but I have a daughter who is single and who is not married so, and doesn't have anyone to take care of her after me. She's going to be in much higher need. So the point I'd like you all to consider is this is how every ayah works. Okay. And so the Quran is giving financial prescriptions that are in theory applicable for all times and place. Will be this will be more applicable in an environment where the men are working, the women are not. Very different than our modern context, especially in the West, where I mean, both of my sisters uh, um, they work full time. But it's assumed that both of my my daughters are going to get advanced degrees to work, you know, so forth and so on. Uh, and and so the point is, this is the last resort. The preference is you choose in advance how to distribute your wealth, and you do that in advance if you have the capability of doing so. Uh, thoughts, or actually, let me get to uh, Wait, yeah. You Sabrina. do it. You do it based on like the children's needs, and not. I'm so sorry. Yeah, and that's exactly like what I'm saying. Favoritism. Well, I mean, I might also be a jerk and decide, all right, you know, I can't stand this kid. I'm going to give this kid, you know, my car, but then I'm going to give my vast estate to these other kids. Yeah, I could also be doing that too. But assuming I'm trying to be a fair parent departing from this world, uh, it's entirely makes sense that I will see this other, you know, the distribution that Allah is giving as not fair to my children. Universally, the ayah is fair, right? If we apply it to, you know, all kinds of contexts. But if we apply it to my specific family that has these particular issues, you know, this ayah is a last resort if I don't get around to doing it. And then I hope that they still take care of each other. But no, this child needs more wealth. I'm going to give this child more while I am alive in the same way I do while I'm alive anyway. All right. So having said that, what are your thoughts? Ahant, Malahat, Sadia, you've been raising your hands for a while, so it might be over other issues. Go for it. Um, I guess my initial like question was uh, to go over uh, your, uh, your algorithm that you... Yeah. Uh, here. So, you know, uh, we first have to ask the question, is Allah still valuing me? Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm speaking, obviously, primarily in the context of women reading these ayahs. Right. Or yeah. this can be the, the case where, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's a, the same for men, but other issues that you might have with other ayahs. Sure. You can still say, oh, you know, you know, like, uh, like uh, the, what I... 
uh, think is being uh, uh, under, you know, uh, uh, undervalued, you know, like, do I still think Allah is valuing that? Mm -hmm. And you said, most people uh, cannot honestly say yes. Um, is this, does this like tie back to uh, uh, what, uh, what, uh, what Auntie Dilnaz may have shared in her interview mm -hmm. where, you know, certain vulnerabilities that we may have, you know, you know, uh, 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 AKA lack of validation, et cetera, that is, is feeding like uh, into this? Mm -hmm. Uh, potentially, it depends on what a person's motivation is. Uh, yeah. But I do think uh, our holistic Islamic culture, correction, let's call it our Muslim culture, uh, is absurdly, uh, wrongly, more patriarchal than the text. The text is patriarchal, right? The text is speaking especially to Mecca and Medina in, you know, in the 7th century. And it's so speaking to a patriarchal audience, moving them to something more towards moderation. That's not a bad thing. Uh, but uh, our modern practice of Islam, uh, anybody who says that, you know, our practice of Islam, even in American society, is ridiculously patriarchal in ways that Islam is not prescribing, I don't think their eyes are open. So, uh, I mean, all kinds of examples of that. And so thus it happens in, in our society, the contradiction is that we're telling women, and this is not me, well, this is me getting on my usual soapbox, especially because I have daughters, but um, the point being that uh, that we're conditioning smart women to act like they're dumb. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, we're telling them that they have to get advanced degrees and everything. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many students I've had here who are being forced uh, uh, to go to med school with the assumption that they're never going to become a doctor that they have to become a doctor, get an MD, and immediately, you know, not practice. But the purpose of becoming a doctor is so they, they can get married. The, the system is so bizarrely ridiculous in all kinds of different ways, one of which is how gender operates in our society. You know? And that has a big toll on a girl growing up. Make sense? Yeah, so, so off of that, what is the holistic vision of these ayahs? If you had to like give us a few like like nuggets. So so all the ayahs are giving you something bigger than just a simple text. And the easiest way to think about it is if we read the ayahs informatively, disembodied, then we just look at the ayah for what it says. And so the ayah basically says, here's your inheritance rules. Done. Done. But when we add this to the first ayah, which speaks about taking care of your parents, taking care of your family, okay, that is a qualitative thing, okay, not with specific prescriptions. And then if we also speak of, you know, the all the numerous teachings that every single time you put food to a husband, every single time you put your food in your wife's mouth, it's sadaqah. Every time you put, you take care of your child, it's sadaqah. And all these other things for a man or a woman to their family is sadaqah, it's sadaqah, it's sadaqah. And you have to give sadaqah every day, all day long with every joint. And all kinds of other ayahs, like the husband has to save a year's worth for his, for his wife. Um, that there's a lot of things that are pre-inheritance. And so in the case, one case of this ayah, uh, I think this is saying the absolute last resort of what to do with your wealth, here's the division. 
And because the book is to be read all times, it's going to give you an answer that will be most relevant for most times in history. Okay. So you're uh, saying and, to, yeah. like, to like look at these, especially the first, what do we call it, like 11 ayahs or something? Yeah. To look at the first 11 ayahs as a whole is to make sure your qualitative uh, roles and obligations are fulfilled to uh, the highest standard. Yeah. And then, then you take this ayah to be the, the secondary or the last uh, resort. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. And yeah. a lot of people just like like look at this ayah like individually yeah. and and not like, you know, take into effect like all those other like, like civilizational values that they have. To so. Yeah. And I'm saying this is the case for every ayah of the Quran. So disembodied informational learning. Here's the ayah. Here's what we do. Okay, no thought about it further embodied practice okay, is now looking at okay what is the application of this it's farad look at how many different ways it says this is farad okay but then that's if i don't do anything with my wealth naturally if i care about my children like the hadith of saad ibn abi waqas which i mentioned a couple of classes ago where he's asking the prophet peace be upon him what should i do with my wealth should i give more should i give less from a fiqh perspective, we might say, okay, well, that's pre-inheritance ayah. But what's the principle the prophet is saying? Don't leave your kids, don't leave your kids hungry. And take care of your kids. So I think just a natural human being caring about their children is going to evaluate, all right, here's my kids. Here's what I have to leave to them. What is going to be best for each one in the same way that I've been raising them my their whole lives. That child number one is going to get this type of care. Child number two is going to get this type of care. Maybe child number two needs a lot more attention than child number one because of the second child. Second children always complain about being overlooked, you know, more than anyway. So then, so the point being that if I've been a parent their whole lives, treating them, raising them according to what they need, then I should definitely be doing that with my wealth before I die. And the inheritance is the last resort. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. Inshallah. Malahat. When we started the discussion, I just want to share another dark yeah. fact about the society is that, you know, in Pakistan, there's a province called Sindh. And then the people actually, the, the feudal system, they marry their daughters and their sisters to the Quran to keep the wealth inside the house. There's a specific word they use for that. So they don't marry them. They just keep them inside and they actually just put the book of Allah in front of them and they just go through yeah. this sort of like uh, celebration and have like full like celebration on that style. And they call it that, you know, she's married to the Quran and now she's not going to marry. It's like, you know, the nun system in our society. So this yeah. is one of the darkest fact in our society yeah subhanallah i did not know this subhanallah marriage with Quran. okay yeah that's i mean so that's you know the way wealth uh, the way people lose their minds over wealth and i mean even i've talked to um prosthenitates uh, states attorneys and and so many of them have talked about how you have a tight family when the 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 parent has died then everyone goes against everyone else to fight over the trust in estates. The real issue is they're not grieving over the death of their father, their mother. 
but the practice is that they're all going at it against each other. Uh, I mean, there's other aspects to the philosophy of inheritance here that's removing the concept of primogenitor. So there's this idea that's considered to be one of the reasons why the why the wealth the wealth in the West grew relate to Malahat's point is that the first child would get all the wealth, and then the second child will often become a priest, and and so by keeping all the wealth in the first child, then they're also keeping it all in the family. These ayahs are spreading it out all across the family, uh, which I also think is fascinating. Basit. Okay, so my wife and I are fighting. By fighting, by fighting, I mean fist fighting. Um, so the uh, the concept. You, you know, this I, is like wanna... being recorded and like and it'd be going online. So please uh, <laughs> make it clear to everyone that you're joking. You know, yeah. uh, sometimes no, we're joking, we're joking. Um, so um, the idea, if I understand correctly, is. Um, the general idea is to look after your kids, right? Now your whole family. Your family, right. So there's a the discussion right now is about let's say pre-inheritance and then after you die inheritance. Yes. Now after you die, if there's no inheritance, then you go based on these ayat, these uh these rules. Yeah. However, there is the the um uh chance and possibility to do a, a pre-inheritance, which you can divvy up the uh, the money according to what you think is best, and that will be okay, um, and you will not be going against Allah's law. In this of course sense. not. Yeah. Think about it like in your house, you know, mashallah, you have you know a certain number of kids. You have four kids, mashallah. One kid is going to be eating more than the next kid, right? Uh-huh. Because he's bigger. A different kid might need more attention in terms of behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And and so this is how it is with all of our kids that the different kids need different attention and such. Your last gift to them is going to be your wealth, which you're also going to split up the same way. According so to remember, me. remember how the other day we were talking about if uh, if I don't go according to that ayah, it's some consider it a sin. Yes. So where how does that play in then? Because that's after you die. So if are I'm- there? Can, can you think of any ayahs that tell you how you should use your wealth before you die? You know, beyond yeah. sadaqah and zakat and all that stuff. So, but if I if if I write a will that doesn't go in accordance to this ayah that we're talking about, that's okay? That's No, no, that's that not at all what I'm saying. Okay. No, what I'm saying is that you have to write a will following this. Okay. But you haven't died yet. Okay, so... What are you going to do with your wealth? Let's say... You're so sick, that you're probably going to die tomorrow or the next day. Okay. Today, you have enough consciousness where you have time to think about what you're going to do with your wealth. So what if I'm worried that I'm, I mean, not worried, but what if like, you know, I get into a car accident and my death is like sudden. And I'm like, okay, what if that happens to me? Uh Let me divvy up my money now amongst my kids. I know one needs more, one needs, you know, whatever. Yes. Isn't that still technically considered like writing a will? No, that's not writing a will at all. That's giving up no. your, and spreading out your money. But even if I'm not giving it to them now. So, wait, wait, wait. If you're saying, uh, this is how I want to split it up uh, when I die, and it contradicts the ayah, then that's yeah, a will. That, that's yeah. a will. So if I, if I want to divvy it up now in accordance to how they need it, I have to physically give them the money now. Yeah, or arrange it, or just... 
just give it all to one relative that you trust who's going to okay. split. But I have to physically it. take it off of my, like it's away from me and somewhere else. Yeah. And now a way to think about it to make it practical is that this is something you would be doing to some capacity ongoing. Okay. okay like like they put a college fund or like yes, something. Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. And then on top of that, you're still probably going to keep some amount for yourself just for living okay. expenses and such. Okay. Right. Okay, thank you. Let's be real. Right. Going to college. Anyway, okay, inshallah, your kids are going to become giant scholars in whatever field. Sadia, I hope you all didn't hear his last comment. Yeah, Sadia, you're you're raising your hand. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that um, there, um, the husband is supposed to leave a year's worth of expenses saved yeah, for his wife outside of the inheritance, right? Yep. Yes. So is there a, like, um, can we find a reference to that? Because I think somebody really needs to. <laughs> Are you talking about, okay. Yeah. Um, I'll have to find it. It's in the latter part of Surah Al-Baqarah. It, it is. So it's in the Quran though, right? Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it would be very helpful if, uh, but I will try to find it too, but sure. just. Uh, any other thoughts, questions, reflections? Have, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I have ahead. another thought. It's just a thought um, and a concern and a fear that, you know, if um, an, an elderly parent who, who thinks that they, who feels that they might soon die and they transfer all the money and all the wealth to the kids, who are adults and have their own families. And uh, what if the parent doesn't end up dying for another 10 years, but they end up getting abused and thrown out by the adults? That's, very common. Yeah, very common and a really sad story. So your Probably question that's is... A, no, I, not the question. It's just, it was just a concern and... and uh, the sad story that we have um, because of which a lot of the parents don't hand it over while they're alive. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, again, we're speaking about uh, healthy and unhealthy situations, right? right? And, and again, for all the eyes of the Quran, uh, it is uh, uh, everything can be abused, right. right? Where the victim is somebody else usually, or the victim might be yourself. You know, a victim, a case where an ayah is being abused, where the victim is yourself, is like the case of the person who decides, I'm going to fast all day and pray all night. And the prophet peace and says, don't do this. Your body has rights over you, right? Those are the, we might consider the small examples. This ayah would relate to bigger examples. And then I also gave the question of, you know, are we all responsible for the oppression of the exploitation of people from other countries? Uh, but yeah. Olfat. A couple of questions. Um, one is, so what we've been talking about so far is there's the not ideal situations where there's abuse or exploitation, and then there's the areas and the context, and it's more than just the minimum. But how does these apply when there's dysfunction? Yeah. So the end result uh is that you might have okay i'll give you a goofy example that is so common 
Uh, my, I have friends, I don't know if Nadia is here today, but she might've even had similar experiences, you know, friends who, uh, in the, who are attorneys here in Chicago, who will come to the attorney to write their will as an Islamic will. Okay. I mean, they might be 30 years old. They might be 40 years old, healthy, no, no expectation. They're going to die anytime soon. And so they'll write the whole will, making sure it's perfectly by the letter following Sharia, right? And then the same person will tell the attorney, okay, can you bill it this way? This way I can write it off with my work. And it's a fraud. And, and so basically what, what Trump did with, you know, with this lady, he, you know, he gave her hush money and then fraudulent in terms of how he reported it. And this is, this is uh, you know, uh, more than common, you know, out here in Chicago, that people literally want their will to be 100% sound and yet we'll use fraud in how uh, they don't want to pay for for the attorney services. They want to be paid for their flexible spending accounts through their job. Yeah. And, and so the dysfunction is all over the place. And, and so uh, there, that starts becoming uh, either the problem where like Sabrina's question, should I speak up, you know, if you have that in your extended family where someone will speak up to make sure abuse is not happening, that's what you have to hope for. Uh, otherwise, we're speaking of a, of a wider problem where the cold reality is going to be you'll get justice with Allah Ta'ala. See what I'm saying? So let's say in this hypothetical family, uh, it's all kinds of abuse in every single direction. Everybody's exploiting everybody. The father is exploiting the kids. And then the kids are all exploiting each other, right? We'll, we'll make the mom innocent in this case. And then, you know, one religious kid sibling, you know, with a long beard but knows nothing says, we are going to follow Islamic inheritance laws. Uh, but there's nothing else Islamic about him. You know, what can you do in those cases? You see what I'm saying? That's uh, that's the case of dealing with, with um, you know, you know, exploitation stuff in the household you need somebody who's when something is happening to speak up and force people to to get in line but in many households you don't have that you know i'm probably giving you the most unhappy answer Olfat, but i think that's the most realistic answer what do you think i struggle with that a bit honestly yeah um and i was also something that you mentioned earlier about um, how women are kind of conditioned to be submissive and not stand up for their rights. 100%. And how do we kind of, because a few classes ago we were talking about um, justice versus uh, stability. Yes. And so how does that, how do those two work together? Yeah. Those two, so those two, when they're separated, which is how we commonly do it in our community, then you will see exploitation. Because then you're following Islamic law for the form. So this is where you have Imam, Imam Shatibi starts really developing this idea of the maqasid of the sharia, right? The higher aims. And the principle there is an idealistic Muslim will say, no, we just apply this ayah and it's automatically fair because it's coming from Allah. And he's saying, no, there will be cases where you're going to apply an ayah and it's going to be 100% properly applied and it is exploitation. And so in terms of the process of adjudication, 
So in the process, like the real process of developing Islamic law on a case, a judication. So basically, you know, are we supposed out. to see what you're writing? Oh, can you see? Oh, yeah. Here you're supposed to see what I'm writing. So, so let's say you have the judge or the faqi looking for an answer to a situation. Uh, this is the common approach, and then this is the actual approach. So the common approach and the actual approach is read, aya, and apply. Right, that's what we usually think. Here's what the aya says, here's what you do. Which is nice and idealistic that nobody does because people will pick and choose what they apply. The actual approach is what we call the usul plus the maqasid plus the orf leading to answer. The usul is what does the ayah say? Okay. And is it, uh, do we conclude that it is mandatory or is it a recommendation? But this is looking at the text itself, the individual verses. The maqasid is what arena of life are we focusing on? And what is the actual goal? So in the case of inheritance laws, it's preservation of wealth. It's preservation of lineage. It's preservation of religion. It's just about everything. Okay. And so it may be that the usul is telling you to turn left, but the maqasid is telling you to turn right. Okay. But then you're also looking at what is the custom in your society? Does the custom in your society fulfill the maqasid? If yes, then it may be that you follow the urf, the custom. Okay. But the point I'm making here is that <clears throat> this is the more proper way going into looking at the realities of a person's situation before finding an answer. Okay. But it, the common way is level one, and that is separate from justice. Because level one, meaning the common way, level one is the way of the price, the common way, in some cases, applying the ayah is going to be just, and in other ways, applying the ayah is going to be destruction. You know, the easy question that I always raise, because a lot of times people struggle with this because it sounds blasphemous, is the same question of you have a Muslim who becomes Muslim the day before Ramadan begins. Fasting is fard. Tarawi, taravi is wajib in the Hanafi school. You have to do it. Okay. Do you tell this brand new Muslim who just became Muslim that tomorrow you're going to have to fast all day long and then at night you got to go into these long prayers? Everybody, what are your answers? Fasting is fard. Obviously, the answer is no. Right? Yeah. Still fard. Hey, Ahant, this yeah. reminds us of our conversations. Yeah, yeah. Definitely the answer is no. Yeah. yeah can I share your story that I've already shared 300 million times? Uh, sure. Yeah. So we have this hypothetical person, you know, raised Hindu who has decided he wants to become Muslim. Okay. And he's asking me, am I going to have to stop drinking? 
and I tell him right now, don't change anything. And he's saying, hey, are you saying it's okay for me to drink? I said, no, it's not okay for you to drink, but right now you should focus on your relationship with the law. But this was the end of February and St. Patrick's Day is coming and he wants to have a good time. Good. And so that's part of the reason why he's asking, because, you know, in Chicago, you drink something other than milk and St. Patrick's Day. And then on top of that, all of his buddies that he gets hammered drunk with in that previous life are the ones who come to the front row of Juma. So then I started laughing and saying, be happy that they're coming to, 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 to Juma at least. But he decides he's just going to stop drinking and he starts yelling at all of them, you know, what kind of Muslims are you guys? But the point here is that, yeah, that's a very, very simple example. Something's categorically far. The entire Ummah agrees that it is far that you have to fast in Ramadan. But if a person has just become a Muslim the day before, you're probably going to tell them to slow down. And so this is where you get into when we speak of the maqasid, you have to look at how does this apply. The problem of dysfunction might also be connected to the very, very first lesson I gave of the whole class. Of these dimensions of a person, you have the body, you have the mind, you have the heart. This is your individual. You have relationships, you have society, you have the world. If the world in the global system is corrupt, everything beneath it is going to be corrupted. If the society you live in is corrupt, everything beneath it is going to be corrupted. So when we first spoke about this, this surah, we spoke about taqwa, which is in the realm of the heart. But now you see this whole surah is about this right half of the screen. And so... It's the same point I was mentioning in our discussion about orphans. I think it was in the last class that all of you who are in this class, you should consider you have a higher level of obligation of trying to figure out how to address these difficulties in society. That if the only thing you're getting from my classes is you feel more comfortable in your Islam, alhamdulillah, but that's far less that I, than what I want from every single one of you. Make sense? that in my mind, you all have a higher level of obligation in terms of what we're speaking about. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Yeah, I wanted to ask oh, if yeah. there is a reference about getting more reward if you distribute your wealth before you die. I think that's, a, a, I won't be able to give you an actual text. Maybe over the years, if I come across one, I'll give it to you. But I think that's very uh straightforward you know uh that inheritance is basically spoken of even in, in the hadith as this last resort it's not spoken of as something you should look forward to and hold off and giving your wealth i don't think there's a single reference of anything like that in the but, quran but in the in, hadith there is right i'm saying in the quran or the hadith there's well, nothing okay. indicating even that you should just hold on to your wealth until inheritance and then follow this. Oh. As opposed to this is spoken of as the last resort, oh. the last step. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Shalom. Uh, other questions. Is having will in young age haram? Uh, no, I think uh, everyone should write a will. Um, and I keep thinking that I have to update my will. Uh, that you should do anyway. Again, as this is your last resort, if I have not 
taking care of my wealth slowly over time or in using American systems like trusts and estates and uh, trusts and all those things, um, uh, then uh, the will is what you, you you follow. But you should be taking care of your children uh, all the way prior to your death. Shalom. So effectively, what I'm saying is that the ayah is saying it is fard, but just like the other ayahs we looked at that are rec- looked at as recommendations, if you add what you do with your wealth before your death and then after your death, it becomes a recommendation. Fard, that if you've died, this is what has to happen with your wealth. Prior to your death, take care of your family and whomever else you want to take care of like your teacher, you know. Anyway, any last questions about any of this? I think I have worn all of you out, inshallah. So the big, big, big takeaway from, from today's class is to look for what is the holistic vision that the ayah is calling you to. A different example is, does the Quran seem to allow slavery? Absolutely, yes. But when we look at what is the thrust of the Quran and the Sunnah, it is towards emancipation. But if it's going to be relevant for all times and places, it has to be giving space for slavery. And that will be not relevant to my life, but there are places in the world slavery is taking place. And suppose someone just becomes Muslim today and owns slaves, and then they they immediately emancipate all their slaves. Will the slaves be okay, or are they going to be taken in by someone else? See what I'm saying? The holistic vision is looking at the real world uh, scenario. What is the ayah including? And that takes a process of reflecting and such. Alrighty, hopefully some of this makes sense. Uh, it's at the same time speaking about something very very practical, but speaking in a very very theoretical way. But I think this is. Uh, hopefully the thrust that we've understood now from these first actual 13 ayahs is that you have a responsibility while you are alive to take care of orphans, to take care of your family, so forth and so on. The inheritance is the last resort. So otherwise, if there's nothing else, we will continue tomorrow, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk By the way who is 101.7 Cool Rock who are you Ah it's Shahir. here Sorry I thought I changed that but I guess I didn't Okay Marshall well, good to hear from you Shahir. All right Yes Bail let's all reward you all inshallah <laughs> You guys have to see Shahir. Shahir is like this big teddy bear. Yeah. And we will continue, inshallah, tomorrow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. What are you doing on the women's side?